I'd like to start with just a simple little question. Did you feel that push inside of you when we were singing that song that wanted to erupt with praise and honor and glorifying God? How does the chorus say? Holy is the Lord, high and lifted up, the King of all the earth, full of truth and love. Holy is the Lord, greatly to be praised, unequaled in his power, mercy and grace. Yahweh, keeper of your people, healer of the feeble, those who call your name. Jesus, King and our Messiah, come and dwell inside us as we praise you. Do you feel something that just... <sighs> Amen in honor of who we serve. Now I'd like you to hold that thought and be thinking about what that is until we're finished. And you tell me if that is the work of the Holy Spirit or if that is some kind of external pressure from outside of you. Yes, it is from outside of us because he is outside of us, amen. But there's that something that gets inside and lights a fire, and you can't keep it in, can you? Hold that thought. The Lord spoke to me sometime last year in 2020 and put a burden on my heart, and I gave expression to it in one context. Amen. But in the past weeks, really, building since Brother Dan spoke on Wednesday of the symposium. It just keeps coming and coming and rumbling inside of me. And the Lord started showing me more and I felt like he would have me try again tonight to express what he has put on my heart. Does anybody remember what Brother Dan spoke about Wednesday of the symposium? zeal for his house and he mentioned one other critical figure in the history of the old testament he mentioned nehemiah and there was another one he mentioned jeroboam didn't he remember that and you know there are many here in this room who are preparing for baptism there are many, I believe, who maybe aren't yet preparing for baptism, but nonetheless feel something. They may still be struggling. Is this God or is this something else that is pushing me from inside? But I thought of the time when Jeroboam arose and Jeroboam was called a mighty man of valor he was a nobleman, apparently, of some sort. He was over all the workforce of the tribe of Ephraim. He was faithful to his master Solomon and was helping to build the temple and the king's house and do all of the things that Solomon was doing. And Jeroboam was a key part of that. He was a gifted man, obviously, a man who, if we read in 1 Kings, he says, The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, 
And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, he was very gifted and had a passion to, to do what needed to be done, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. But what happened? Solomon did what? It says, Solomon, this is one of the sad parts to me, something that always, you know, it just, you go, oh, God. It says, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth and the goddess of the Sidonians and after Milcom, the abomination or Moloch of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of Yahweh and did not fully follow Yahweh as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place to Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all of his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So Yahweh became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned from Yahweh his God. And so, this appears to be the downfall of the house of David, of the tribe of Judah, because the tribe of Judah and Benjamin was given to Solomon. The rest of it was given to Jeroboam, and he says, Ahijah comes to Jeroboam and makes a promise to him. This mighty man of valor, this gifted, industrious man, and says to his son, Solomon's son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires you shall be king over Israel, and it shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments. As my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David. Jeroboam's getting the same promise that David got, isn't he? This man, who's kind of been snatched out of being head of the workforce for the tribe of Joseph, is receiving the same promise that David received. Think about that. As my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you, and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Now, on the face of it, it looks like Jeroboam's got everything going for him, doesn't he? Jeroboam is being given the vast majority of the nation. Jeroboam has just been given a promise like the promise that was given to David. And the Lord even said, like I did for David. This is a man 
apparently chosen and accepted by God if he will follow God with all of his heart. This is a remarkable promise. And then we go down, and Brother Dan mentioned this part. I'd like to go over it briefly. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, God has made such wondrous promises to me. I put my full trust in him. I believe his word that he is able to perform it. Is that about right? Amen. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to the house of David. Therefore the king asked advice, made two gold calves, and said to the people, it is too much. The burden that is on my heart is for both those of us who have, by inheritance, received so much. But haven't we all, by inheritance, received so much? But it's for us and it's for those who would think to join this great nation that the Lord has built, that we would keep our hearts set apart and devoted to the one who is holy, holy. When we come in through baptism, we are entering what? What did Brother Liad just say? We are entering the holy of holies. We are entering the place called by his name. What did he say? He said, after you have inherited the land that I am going to give you, there will be a place that I will designate for you and there I will put my name forever. And there you will go and you will bring your sacrifices and your burnt offerings and you will pay your tithes and you will do all of these things. That place and only that place. You won't be like the other nations and pick places for yourself. In other words, in our day, you won't decide for yourself the doctrines that you're going to choose, the ways that you're going to obey God according to your own ideas, what is too much and what is too little, what is enough. Have you ever heard that? Is that really necessary? I think this is good enough. What do you think when you hear, I, I, I feel like this is good enough? What do you think? When someone's saying, I, I think this is good enough, do you think, man, that is a person? who is seeking absolute perfection. Is that what you feel? <laughs> you think that is someone who's trying to see how little they can get away with. That's close enough for government work. <laughs> right? How much can I get away with before I get a fine? No, there is one place and there 
you're going to go. Amen. And you're not going to be the one to choose it. I will choose it after you receive the land that I'm giving you. There will be a place that I will choose. And this is going to be the day that you go there. And that will be the beginning of your days and of your months. None of this is according to you. This is according to me, the one giving this. And there you're going to go. And if you do, I will bless you. And every year, you're going to go back there and you're going to remember where you came from. You're going to remember that you didn't pick this place. You're going to remember that you didn't identify and choose the way that you're going to worship me. You're going to remember, oh yeah, because when your son asks you, you're going to say, oh, we were slaves in Egypt. Amen. We were the lowest of the low among a bunch of pagans who didn't have the first idea of anything. Amen. And we didn't decide, okay, now we're going to go do this and we're going to do that and we're going to worship God and we're going to... No. But Yahweh our God brought us out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And he said, this is the way that you're going to glorify me. Because I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. No, you didn't start a rebellion and get yourself free of the Egyptians. I reached out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And I brought you out from there. So you're going to worship me the way I choose for you to worship me. Amen. And we're told that all of these things in the Old Testament, oh, they don't mean anything for us anymore, do they? Right? That's the Old Testament. Oh, we can disregard all of that. Amen. Because now we live by the Spirit, which means that we can pick and choose whatever we good and well feel like it and decide how we're going to do all these things, right? Amen. No, we are told that these things are written for our instruction. We're supposed to be looking at them and we're saying, what was God trying to impress upon his people? What was he trying to show them about the attitude and the outlook and the posture that they should have toward him as they worship him in the way he chooses? Oh, uh, you know, those homesteaders, you know, mom and dad, whoever it is, you name it, they are so picky it is just, oh, it is too much. Mom won't even let me go out of the house if I dress just the way I feel like it. She says I can't go out like that. She is, she's pretty picky, isn't she? No, she says, you're a child who doesn't know anything yet, as you ought to know, and you're supposed to be exhibiting something else that you didn't pick for yourself, you didn't choose for yourself, but I'm nonetheless trying to cultivate in you until such time as you come to understand. Amen. So it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel. We heard this before, didn't we? When did we hear this? The golden calf. And after the golden calf... After Moses took it and ground it into powder and put it in the water and made them drink it, then he said to the Levites, what? Strap on your swords. 
strap on your sword and you go back and forth through the camp. We've heard this before, this exact word. This is sufficient. We don't know where this Moses is. He's always coming up with these ideas and it's really outside of our ability to live with it. He's gone. I mean, he's been gone for 40 whole days. After all, that's a long time. We don't know where he is, so here are your gods. You know, we look at that as preposterous. We say, how on earth? But I challenge you. I really do. We don't worship golden calves today as something that you go down to the jeweler's shop and have them cast a golden calf. But you ask yourself, what are your golden calves? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself what it is. Brother Ossie ministered about vanity a couple weeks ago. Ask yourself, do I have any golden calves? And I think that this is sufficient, this is good enough. He didn't say, I'm giving you another God. He actually says, here are your gods, unfortunately, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's, giving, he's saying this is who it was. He's hard to see and he can't even figure it out anyway. Amen. This is who it is all along. This is who brought you out. Here they are. And he set them up in Bethel and Don. Now this thing became a sin. Okay. I went through and I counted the kings of Israel and of Judah several months ago, last year. Unfortunately, I can't tell you off the top of my head how many there were of each. But I can tell you this. There was not one king in Israel and it was one-third of the kings of Judah. So of all the kings of Israel and of Judah, one-third of the kings of Judah, is it said, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And every single king of Israel, every single one of them, what does it say about them? They did not return back from the sin of Jeroboam who caused Israel to sin. I thought, oh, there was a good king of Israel. It was Jehu. Jehu was great, wasn't he? He was incredible. You remember he went through and wreaked havoc with the temple of Baal? And he got rid of all the house of Ahab and was the man who fulfilled the prophecy of God against the house of Je uh, uh, Ahab. And he wreaked havoc, amen, with the Baals. What does it say? What does it say about it? But he did not turn back from the sin of Jeroboam who caused Israel to sin. And so, for four generations, the Lord said, okay, okay, I'll let you have a little posterity here, but no more. 
And it was during his time, the time of his son, I believe it was, that the Lord began to cut off, lopping off parts of Israel and giving it to the Assyrians, finally culminating in the captivity to Assyria of the house of Israel. Amen. Because even Jehu did not turn from the sin of Jeroboam. The Lord impressed me this past year. The sin of Jeroboam is still alive and active in people's lives and hearts and minds. Don't you think that it died with the kings of Israel? Amen. It just went into hiding. That is too much. These brothers teach and preach and say all of these things and they minister the word of God. But some of this, you know, that's great for them. But it's just going a little too far, isn't it? You tell me that that's not the sin of Jeroboam. Is it? As soon as it's too far, as soon as it's too much, you have just identified, and maybe if you're saying it, committed the sin of Jeroboam. Because you're saying, I can serve God, and I'm going to do it in my way. And this, listen to this. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. What feast was that? That was Passover. Amen. The Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And he said, this is the day that will be the beginning of your days and that you'll mark your year from. That's the day that I brought you out and I parted the Red Sea. No golden calves did that. No good enough religion did that. Amen. Amen. The hand of God parted those waters and the hand of God ordained that day and said, this day, you're going to get rid of all the leaven out of your gates. Amen. And you're going to celebrate a feast unto Yahweh your God. And you're going to remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Amen. And Yahweh your God brought you out of there. Amen. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Oh, really? Amen. And so he picks a day, ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves. Amen. And I read this last year. I read it to my group. And every time I read it, it just, ugh, it cut me. He, Jeroboam, ordained a feast. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, Yahweh ordained a feast. Jeroboam ordained a feast on this day and this month and offered sacrifices. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. This is good enough. See, we're having feasts. We're having sacrifices. We're, 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 we're worshiping whoever it was who brought us out of Egypt. 
Oh, we could never deny that God brought us out of Egypt. So we're, we're, we're worshiping whoever that was who brought us out of Egypt. And we are even celebrating a feast and having a sacrifice. We go to church every Sunday and we go to Friday night meetings and we say amen when Brother Ossie or whoever preaches the word of God to us. But we just don't feel like it's necessary to be quite that radical. We feel the Holy Ghost, but you know, they are pretty radical, you know. Installed priests at the high places which he had made. And so he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bedel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month that he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Well, first of all, as we just heard Brother Liad say, if this happened in the worship of Yahweh, God of Israel, somebody would be dead. And they would be pulling them out of the Holy of Holies by a rope around their ankle. Because they weren't supposed to go into that place according to the time that they devised, according to the way that they devised, to do whatever it was that they devised. They were supposed to go into that place in the way that he ordained, in the time that he ordained, purified according to the standard that he ordained. Isn't it a little tough? You know, all these people want to get baptized and they have to go and, and sit there and share their hearts with the brothers and there's this testing and this prodding and this probing. Isn't that a little much? No, we want to make sure before we go into the holiest of holies, we want to make sure that we have given the Lord full access to purify and purge away all of the impurity by the washing of the water with his word and say, no, 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 no. This isn't according to the way you devise. Lord, we want to go into it only the way you devise, only the way you have ordained, amen, so that we can be worthy, amen, of the gift of the calling with which we were called. It says, and behold, a man of God, so on and so forth, comes and speaks, and we know it, and I'm fixing to, to move on. It says, behold, O altar, O altar, thus says Yahweh, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. You have your way, the Lord will defile your way. I have my way, I'm going to do it my way, this is good enough for me. I'm going to worship my golden calf, my vanity, my self-will. God defile that altar. The Lord, break that altar and grind it in pieces. Amen. Lord, don't ever let us worship you according to our way. Don't ever let us worship God according to what is passable to our flesh. Ooh, that's distasteful. Remember what Brother Ossie ministered about. Is it distasteful to you? 
that's where you should get really alarmed. Amen. That's the scary point. Amen. I want to go on now. That's setting the, the stage. Solomon. Solomon. The man who built the temple. Solomon. Turned from the Lord. We know that. And the Lord raised up a man who he ordained to carry on a sanctified people. That's what Jeroboam was supposed to be doing. This was judgment. Jeroboam came as an act of judgment on Solomon's house. Jeroboam didn't come as, oh well, this, I'm just going to let them go and do their thing. It's too bad. But, you know, I'll still somehow figure out how to keep a handful together for Solomon. Actually, he was going to try to keep a handful for David, a remnant. But Jeroboam was the one who came and received a new promise. And said, God will do for you exactly what he did for David. And Jeroboam threw it away and caused ten of the twelve tribes to be lost from history. Where are they? Does anybody know? Oh, there are all kinds of harebrained ideas, harebrained doctrines. There's all kinds of craziness floating around the world because people have been looking for the ten lost tribes for millennia, probably, certainly centuries, looking for the ten lost tribes. They cease to exist. Do you recognize that? Are they around? Brother Zafir, are the ten lost tribes around anywhere? Nobody knows where they are. They were absorbed into Assyria. When the king of Assyria came and conquered the northern tribes of Israel, he colonized it with his own people. He brought people from all the other kingdoms that he had conquered, and he would not keep a family unit together. The king of Assyria, that was his method. And so he just puts together a collection of people and settles them in territory that used to be the ten tribes of Israel. And then he took those ten tribes and he did the same thing with them. He would not keep a family unit together and scattered them across the face of the earth that he ruled. And they ceased to exist because... They accepted the idea that they could decide for themselves how they were going to serve God. Because they said, going all the way to the place called by his name was too much trouble. That was the problem. Jeroboam could not trust that God would preserve and keep the word that he had spoken to him. He couldn't trust that. He could not believe that God would actually perform that which he had spoken to him. And so he said, that's too much trouble to do it God's way. Amen. And because of that, his entire people, because they refused to turn from that mindset, this is too much. You ask yourself where the places are and those of you who would seek to be baptized, you double down and you say, 
Lord, is there any place in my life that that's too much, what you would ask of me? You ask yourself, where are the places in all the things that God would speak to me and convict my heart of? Where are the places that I say, ah, that's going a little too far. That's a little too much. Oh, yes, you are defining the place of sacrifice. I would be defining the place of my sacrifice, the time of my sacrifice, the way of my sacrifice. Amen. No, that caused 10 of those 12 tribes to be lost to history. Amen. Because they accepted and embraced that mindset. So, along comes Josiah. And this is my final point. Josiah comes. You do know, I just told you, that one-third of the kings of Judah had said, it is written about them that they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? Two-thirds were always backsliding, and one-third of them, they would do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and they would return to him. Okay, I want you to think about that for a second. One-third of the kings did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah was eight years old, when he became king, Brother Zafir reminded us it was in the 18th year of his reign. He was 26. Okay? He's doing what's right. He's serving Yahweh. He was eight years old. Who here is 26 or younger? Raise your hand. Okay. Quite a few. So... This 26-year-old man has been reigning for 18 years, and he has been doing everything he knows to walk in the ways of Yahweh, right? Amen. He is following in the footsteps of his father David, right? Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of Yahweh, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money, so on and so forth. So he sends him up. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahweh. Think about that. This man had been king for 18 years. He was one of the one-third who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. His heart was toward God. 
And yet this man had been king for 18 years and did not know about the book of the law of Yahweh. In Deuteronomy, Moses said, every year you take this covenant and you read it before God's people and let all the people say amen every year. Now here is a righteous king who doesn't know what he doesn't know. And this priest comes and says, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahweh. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hands of those who do the work, who oversee the house of Yahweh. And then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and we don't know what it is. We don't know what this means, but he's given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes, and then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Achbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, go inquire of Yahweh. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for all the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. Amen. For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. Amen. To do according to what is written concerning us. And we know the story. They go to Hulda, the, the prophetess. She promises grace to him because his heart turned to Yahweh. And then he begins to go through Israel and Judah and get rid of all of this stuff. And he defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Moloch. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of Yahweh. Now think about this. This guy's been king 18 years. He doesn't know what these horses are. He doesn't know what this sanctified thing that the kings of Judah, amen, apparently all of whom, even the good ones, left there not knowing what they were. What are those things? Oh, who knows? I mean, they've been there forever. Yeah, we've done that for generations, hundreds of years even. Yeah, I, I don't know. And yet he seems like a radical because he says he defiled it. He removed them. They were at the entrance of the house of Yahweh by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. 
What are those? I mean, what's the big deal about those chariots? I, I have no idea. They've been there since Solomon. They had. They had been there since Solomon. And nobody knew it. Nobody knew that this was a defilement of the house of God. Nobody. It seems like they lost the pattern of reading the book of the law yearly, doesn't it? Because it seems like if somebody would have read it with the heart that he read it, it wasn't, okay, brrr, okay, got, yeah, I got my reading done. Everything's taken care of. It's all good. Amen. Wonderful. Uh, great. Let's go do some more, have some more fun somewhere. Somehow or another, when he read this, something cut him to the heart. And he said, those chariots, those horses, ooh, there's something wrong here. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of Yahweh. The king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust in the brook Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth and the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom or Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Okay, think about that, folks. All these hundreds of years, from Solomon until Josiah, how many years would that have been, Brother Zafir? About 300 years. For 300 years, let's just put the church, plug the church in. These have been there. Now, these are the reason that 10 of the tribes were cut off from Israel. I just read you in 1 Kings, didn't I? And listed all of those, didn't I? These were the reason that those tribes were cut off. Those 10 tribes. These are the reason that Jeroboam was set up over Israel. And Judah has lost sight of it. They don't even know. Oh, Solomon was a great king. He was one of the first two really good ones. And yeah, he left us these things. They've been there for 300 years. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's just what we do. Really? Really? I ask you how many things we accept. Oh yeah, that's just what Christians everywhere do. Oh yeah, Christians have been doing that for hundreds of years. Yeah, that's no problem. Yeah, Homestead, yeah, they're just a little bit crazy about those kind of things. They just have to be a little particular. But maybe somebody said, oh God, we have accepted things for generations that we received from somewhere and we don't even know where we got it from, but we received it and accepted it. Oh God, we better purge it all out. We better get rid of every bit of it. Amen. And let you put back what's supposed to be there. 
And if God hasn't put it back there, you just good and well better get rid of it. Amen. Because you don't know where you got that from. You don't know where you got those doctrines from. Oh, no, I was raised in the fellowship. And I, I know I have been watching. There are people who are Christians who are doing these things. Yeah, but the problem is, is they haven't heard what you have heard. And Hosea said, you're going to be judged by what you have heard, not by what they have heard. Amen. So the question is, have you heard the book of the law being read in the house of God? The question is, have you heard the prophetess, the high priest, speaking the word of God to you that says, no, no, this isn't for your choosing. This isn't for you to decide how to build relationships, how to put together marriages, how to define what sanctification is or justification or anything else. That's what Jeroboam did. This isn't for you to decide what sanctification and holiness is. What are we singing? Holy, holy, holy. Amen. But when you feel your heart burning within you and there's that something starts, amen. Your only responsibility is to say, God, give me an outlet to yield and surrender my will to yours. And there I can get rid of all of the abominations, amen, that I inherited. Amen. I may not have been guilty of them. For apparently for those 18 years, maybe Josiah wasn't either. Oh boy, but then he gets a message. Then he gets a revelation. And he says, for 18 years, I have been reigning over this kingdom. And we have abominations sitting around. We have things that shouldn't be there sitting around. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with dead men's bones. By this time, you remember the northern tribes had already been carried away captive, right? They're already gone. There are these new pagans up there who are the Samaritans who have tried to figure out how to you know, passively worship whoever that God was that, that the Israelites worshiped. We, we don't know really who, anything about him, but, you know, we're trying because lions were eating us, so we're, we're trying to figure out what we can do about that. They're not worshiping him out of the heart. They're just trying to pacify him like they pacify their gods. And there's still this kingdom of these radicals down south, and they've got this new king named Josiah. And Josiah says, there's something else I got to do. Because the man who was supposed to have saved the ten tribes from this sin that I've been purging out of Judah and Jerusalem, he did something horrible. So I'm going up into Assyrian territory. I'm going up into a place that they probably don't want to see me. And the altar that was at Bethel. And the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place, Josiah broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. 
And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and he took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of Yahweh, which the man of God proclaimed. Who proclaimed these words? Then he said, what gravestone is that that I see? And they told him it was the man of God. I ask you, I ask every person who's going to get baptized this Sunday, I ask every person in this room who has been baptized, who is considering it, what does your repentance look like compared to the repentance of Josiah? Amen. Where are the men who have offered on your altars for yourself that you identified and defined for yourself? Oh, yeah, that's, that's I stopped doing that a long time ago. Is it time to get their bones out and grind them to powder and make sure that that old dead man is really dead? Is it time to start examining the things that you have taken for granted? I challenge those who are here who are second and third generation, do you realize how easy it is and how easy it will be to have totally forgotten everything that God has given you? Do you realize Josiah, his great-grandfather was Hezekiah. And one of the guys in the middle only reigned for a few years. Who of you have a grandfather here or a grandmother here in the fellowship? Look at all those hands. You realize how easy it will be for you as a young adult to not even remember what your grandfather and grandmother believed? Hezekiah. Hezekiah. What was it they said Hezekiah's Passover was the greatest Passover? Amen? And yet, his grandson, great-grandson maybe. Okay. Brother Jim Truax, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. You already have great-grandkids, don't you? You know, a great-grandparent isn't that far away. My dad has a great-grandchild. You tell me, is that great-grandchild going to remember what his or her great-grandfather stood for, believed in? Amen. It took 18 years of Josiah being king. He was 26 years old before he finally figured out what his great-grandfather stood for. Amen? 18 years. A righteous man. Do you realize how hard it is to grab a hold of, fight for, struggle for, and hold on to the truth? Do you realize that? Amen. I challenge you today. Amen. Be a Josiah be like Josiah. Let a fire, not that something Brother Aber or Brother Ossie or whoever, amen, is trying to tell you, and oh, they're pressuring me. Oh, no. Amen. The whole idea 
is what's the word of God saying? Amen. Amen. And if the word of God is pressuring you, if God by his spirit, amen, from the time we start singing, is, God, do not let me defile your sanctuary. God, don't let there be something inside of my heart. Don't let there be something in the way that I think that says, uh, uh, that is just too much. God, purge Jeroboam from my midst. Purge Jeroboam from my heart, from my mind. Jeroboam, who calls Israel to sin and be lost from history. God, get it out of me. God, get it out of me. Amen. Lord, amen. If it takes 300 years, amen, before a Josiah comes back, amen, and fulfills the promise of God, amen, and says, oh, know that defiled altar, amen, that's that horrible place, amen, of self-imposed religion, amen, of human-devised and designed sacrifice. That's that horrible place that caused God's people, amen, to disappear from history. Oh, Lord, let me defile that altar. Amen. Let me find that place, the place called by your name, the place that Brother Liad spoke of. And Lord, let me make my sacrifice there. Lord, let my life be that sacrifice. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And God, don't let me do it according to the plans of my own heart and my own mind. Amen. But let me do it according to your plan and your will. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I hope you have heard my heart. Lord, help us never lose the heart of Josiah. Amen. It said that Josiah, that was the greatest Passover. It lasted an extra was it two weeks? An extra week? It said, the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to Yahweh, your God. The Passover was what? Remembering we were slaves in Egypt and not golden calves, not doctrines of our own devising, not self-made religion. Yahweh, amen, our God, brought us out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so this day, we purge from our midst all leaven. But who's our Passover? Amen. So when you're baptized, you're baptized into your Passover lamb. Amen. You go through your Red Sea and into your Passover lamb. Amen. Commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to Yahweh your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. Amen, that they had lost. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Judah. Amen. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before Yahweh in the place called by his name, Jerusalem. 
Moreover, Josiah put away all of the filth. Amen. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to Yahweh with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll tell you, that's the burden on my heart. Lord, let us see how fragile, how, how cherished your word, your light, your truth should be. And don't ever let the spirit of Jeroboam tell us it's too much. It is not too much. Amen. There is not one thing in all that God has spoken to his people that is too much. There is not one thing that is too burdensome, too difficult, too demanding, too hard. That's Jeroboam speaking. So God, by your Holy Spirit, amen, convict our hearts and let us embrace it, amen, so that we never forget where we came from, so that we never forget what was given to us, so that we never find ourselves in a place where we say, oh, brothers, did you hear? Did you see this? We just found a book. Lord, have mercy and help us avoid that tragedy. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Last night with the young folks in my living room, I talked to them about leaven. And several times you really emphasized that tonight. And how Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So oftentimes when we look at our behavior, our disobedience, the pattern of our worship or service to God, we want to assess it in terms of the bulk of what we think is good and the bulk of what we think is bad. And we say, well, look, disproportionately good and minusculely bad, right? But how Paul says a little leaven, just a little bit, leavens the whole lump. And often in the Old Testament and New, they were not using commercial yeast like we do today, where they were sprinkling some in a jar and letting it bloom and then adding it to the dough. Rather, the leaven would get into the very wood of the bowl where they made the bread. To this day, you can buy these kind of bowls so that the yeast will infiltrate the fibers of the wood and then will leaven what you add to it by the next morning. And so the Lord was speaking to us last night and I feel again tonight that there is a sense in which the framework of our thinking, the container of our heart has got to undergo some kind of purging, some kind of cleansing that neutralizes and kills the leavening influence of our own perspective. Think of your mind like that bread bowl. The Lord doesn't want to inflate His word, His will, with your carnal perspective slash leaven. Amen? He calls us to be part of that unleavened loaf. Jesus warned about the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It was as if every word he spoke to them fell into the containers of their leavened minds and changed the substance of his word materially. Amen? 
This is how a word can go forth to one and it produces something unrecognizable as what it produced in another. Because one had the leaven of their own pride, the leaven of their hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of their perspective, whatever, and the other was able to receive the implanted word with a pure heart. And God was able to produce the product He intended. And I just pray that as we move toward communion and as God is speaking to us about this transformation, about this removal of ourselves from the pattern of Jeroboam, God, get the leaven out of our thinking. Get the leaven out of our hearts. It's like we're changing the substance of His purpose if we're not purging our hearts from that contaminating influence of our will, of our plans, of our ambitions, etc., etc. Really, this sort of yeast, this sort of active agent is exactly what he's talking about when he speaks of the new wine and new wineskins. The old wineskins were stretched to the point where if you had put new wine in them, it would have exploded it. The wineskin itself would have the leaven, the yeast in it. It would infiltrate it, and then you'd have an adverse reaction when you combine these two. And there is, there is a yeast of the world that we need to get out, a yeast of the carnal perspective that we need to get out because we're going to end up with a product, a bread, that is unrecognizable from the substance God intended when he threw it in our bowl. Amen. Even tonight, Lord, help us. Help us to change our thinking. Amen. Help us, help us to clean this out. You know, I remember hearing once that David's prayer in Psalms 51, where he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. There's many hypotheses about what he meant by that. One is that they used hyssop as a uh, soap agent, which is quite possible. Another is that when they would store wine in these large clay urns, in these large clay pots, the yeast would get active in the bottom, and then it would become bacterial, and, and it would become contaminated, so that when you put water or whatever in that pot, it would be contaminated. Somebody could get sick. And that one method of cleansing it was they would take a, a bunch of dried hyssop, and they'd light it on fire. And they'd burn that pot, turn that pot upside down and put that hyssop in there and just scorch and sear all that bacterial mess out of it. Amen. So that it would be a vessel, as Paul said, purified and good for use. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so sometimes the leaven, it's in the very Thoughts that we're using to process the word. It's in the very feelings, it's in the very reactions, the knee-jerk reactions that the word is precipitating from our carnal nature. Something has got to happen that scrapes us clean, that puts the fire of God's word in there and torches and scorches and sears off that bacterial leaven, that mess that would otherwise contaminate and pollute what he's doing. Amen. When he was speaking, I thought of someone else who said, you have gone too far. You remember who else said that? 
in the great rebellion against Moses when Korah took 200 leading men of the congregation. Got Moses, Korah, and 200 leaders. And he came with the voice of a populist, just like Jeroboam. Isn't it amazing how the rebels against God always are doing it for the people? This is too much for them. You know, no, you just don't like to submit. Amen. So he came and told Moses, you have gone too far. This is, this is a point too far. We've got to reel this in. And the Lord opened up the earth and swallowed them. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's almost as if God doesn't have any tolerance for that spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Help us, God.